spent the last episodes exploring a series of developments with the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, CDC's no-sail order, about when the cruise industry would resume sailing and what requirements permit resumption of service. If you've missed any of those episodes, please go back and listen to them. We spoke about how you may understand regulations in a more meaningful way, the importance of adhering to public health protocols and approaches to achieving important goals. Today's episode is the first one in the series of returning to operations. We first put it out in June of this year that the cruise industry would have to meet order compliance. We addressed very important questions on operations, enforceability of the order, and consequences if requirements are not met. So, which public health regulations do we need to pay attention to in order to safeguard public health on board cruise ships? Today we continue the discussion about those moves and are chatting with Gus Skinner, former Health Canada and Public Health Agency of Canada's National Lead Manager for the Canadian Cruise Ship, public health inspection program and as you already have been introduced to gphs's john schnorr hello gus hello john it's a pleasure to be speaking to you both and to continue the conversation on what's to come post no sale order last month we focused on some of the measures that cdc has taken in preparation of a return to service Continuing the discussion about those moves, I'd like to ask you, Gus, if you can share with us some of the similarities and differences between the USA and Canadian cruise vessel programs. That's a great question, Maria. But before I start talking about the similarities and differences between the US and Canadian cruise ship inspection program, I really want to talk about the history of the Canadian inspection program for the cruises and how it all started and how it evolved. Actually, the documented first case of a gastrointestinal illness on a cruise ship in Canada goes back 50 years until January 1970 when the uh, SS Hronse arrived in Vancouver with 1,600 plus passengers and crew on board and flying the quarantine flag. Um, the problem on board, there was over, uh, over 80 some odd passengers ill, gastro, um, what they suspected it was was a typhoid. The Health Canada and their predecessors to Health Canada responded and sent staff out to Vancouver to, to investigate the cruise ship. The cruise ship was in the port for nearly three weeks before it was allowed to continue its sailing. And in the end, those 83 passengers and crew were admitted to the hospital. And unfortunately, one person uh, died. Oh. This incident highlighted the need for a better public health inspection and surveillance strategy for cruise ships mm. in Canada. I see. So shortly after the event of the Ronse, um, John Hussack, and John, I apologize, for, it's not you, it's your a former colleague. <laughs> Yashik. Yashik. At CDC, uh, began a small crew, uh, program uh, in, the, in the U.S., uh, the forefront to VSPs we know today, mm. and um, monitoring the cruise ship are operating in the U.S. for food and water. At the mm. same time, out of Vancouver, um, uh, Joe Johnson, who's a former military hygiene tech, was the one that started it in Canada with a small program. But 
in all fairness, it wasn't um, it wasn't coordinated and so forth. It was really one port doing what they thought was right and good public health. Yeah. So 1980 saw uh, a tremendous increase in cruise ships. Uh, if we go back to 76, there was only seven cruise ships in Vancouver, and that was the, all the cruise ships in Canada. But 1980 saw a growth in the cruise ship program, especially at the Port of Halif or Port of Vancouver. I'm on the East Coast here myself, so I okay. always live in Halifax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but out of Vancouver. And it grew from there. For the cruise ships, uh, we're being inspected twice a year on the West Coast, similar to what the U.S. were doing. Mm. And in the mid-80s, uh, VSP had a very solid program going. They had their own manuals and so forth. Okay. 89, the Voluntary Compliance Program came into be with VSP, the U.S. Public Health Program. Again, Canada was still struggling, yeah. um, you know, funding-wise, uh, resources, and so forth. Uh -huh. um, and again, uh, having a national vision. In 1995, under leadership of Sandy Kakich, and Sandy's been around a long time now, um, he, he had the first meeting with the Harmonized Canada and U.S. Okay. So those same cruise ships that were visiting Seattle were going into Victoria. It's public health is public health. The same ships, New York up to Halifax and so on and so forth. I see. So, so they should be assessed similar. Mm. And in 1998, 1998, Health Canada negotiated a, a voluntary compliance program with the cruise industry and the cost recovery. And in 1999, they negotiated with VSP on harmonized cruise ship program. And that's the program that we're still using to this day. There's a couple of things that are different in Canada, and then I'll talk about similarities. Yeah. Uh, different. We have potable water regulations. So potable water on a cruise ship is a regulatory activity along with food under the Food and Drug Act. The, the Environmental Health Officers, or EHOs, are designated under those acts and regulations. So that part of a cruise ship inspection is we'll say regulatory, yet at the same time, we have no regulations for, for recreational water, um, child activities from a federal lens. Provincially, there may have, but from a federal lens, we don't. So that's um, a, a start of our, between our differences and similarities. Um, we do the same inspection components that VSP does. So, okay. maybe, so it's potable water, food, medical, housekeeping, pest control, HVACs, and so on and so forth. We do the same inspections. We follow basically the same manual. We Canadianize it. And the reason why we Canadianize mm. it is because our reporting structure for gastrointestinal reporting is different than in the U.S. We also okay. have a requirement for vessels that start in Canada on a, say a back-to-back -back cruise. So they have a cruise going out of Vancouver or going out of Montreal. Mm -hmm. There's requirements to report their gastrointestinal re data before leaving a Canadian jurisdiction on their way to make it to the U.S. or overseas. Got it. Okay. So I'm guessing you, your program has a couple of other sort of things that are different from the U.S. too when it comes to the cruise ships, right? Because for VSP, the Vessel Sanitation Program, um, as a former inspector, that's all we did. We only did cruise ships, but you guys cover the whole kind of travel 
program. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, uh, Environment Health Officers, or EHOs in Canada, now part of the Public Health Agency of Canada. The program is known as the Traveling Public Program. Um, they do water and sanitation on airlines, for example. That's either an FDA or an EPA function in the United States. Um, passenger ferries, either internationally or domestic passenger ferries. And I understand that in the States, if it doesn't have an international itinerary, then it's interstate public health does that. Passenger trains, environmental health officers do passenger trains in Canada, and that includes Amtrak coming up from the States or the, you know, the Canadian Air, uh, VA Rail. Mm. And on that note, I'm actually starting to wonder, when it comes to the ban on cruise ships, uh, while the U.S. has the no-sale order up to the 30th of September, in Canada, it's up till the 31st of October. Can you share with us some of the differences between how the two countries are approaching the ban applied on cruise ships? Gus. Yes, well, again, the Canadian Cruise Ship Inspection Program season actually is from usually April till October. Back on the 6th of March, uh, the Canadian Public Health, Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Tam, issued a warning to all Canadians not to cruise due to the risk of contracting of the coronavirus. Then on the 13th of March, Canada banned all cruise ships carrying more than 500 passengers and crew uh, coming into Canada to operate. Mm -hmm. Then on the 29th of May, the Canadian government again updated that directive and banned all cruise ships with overnight accommodations and uh, carrying more than 100 persons. To prohibit from operating in Canada, and that included the Arctic waters. Hence, the 2020 cruise ship season in Canada was over. Wow, okay. it's, uh, it's it's done. Um, we're not <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the the industry. This is a huge impact when you look at um, into Canada in particular. Um, we've had cruise lines, a small cruise line now. Announced the other day, the Blunt Small Ship Adventures. They've just folded. They're oh, selling gosh. off their three vessels. That's a that's an American-based uh, cruise line. Um, statistic numbers. When you look at the numbers of what is the impact, we had approximately 80 to 100 cruise ships planned to come into Canada. That's on the east coast and the west coast. Yeah. And they're not coming. I don't have the number of the expected passengers. All that data, but. You can appreciate there in Vancouver alone. That's a huge number. Yeah. Victoria just sent out a press release the other day. They're not expecting any cruise ships uh, for 2021 because of some concerns. So there's a lot of uncertainty out there right now in the industry. Yeah. It seems the impact on the cruise industry from the Canadian perspective and COVID is it's pretty similar to the U.S., would you say, John? Or, you know... Yeah, I mean, it's the, <clears throat> they're all struggling. Um, the, the difference, uh, one of the differences between the Canadian program and the U.S. is, of course, that um, during the winter months, which we're approaching now, many cruise ships sailing in the Med or, or Northern Europe usually reposition to the Caribbean. And because of that, a lot of times they would be scheduled to come into to U.S. ports. So, with the U.S. program, we have ships coming and going 12 months out of the year. Uh, and so 
Yeah, it's um, well, it's a huge impact with the uh, for Canada. It's uh, the same for the uh, the ports that cruise ships come into, and an impact on the cruise lines, of course, themselves. So, yeah, it's a it's pretty significant when you think about it. And Gus, as for the precautions that both agencies are taking with COVID-19, would you say they're harmonized? Do you have anything our listeners should know? I understand that the public health agency traveling public program has the inspection programs in discussion with CDC, vessel sanitation, to ensure that both countries are approaching the new cruise ship uh, inspection program with the same vision. Um, what that's going to be is going to be interesting. If you follow the uh, CDC uh, survey they're doing right now, I think mm-hmm. it's on to the end of the month. There's literally thousands of responses in there, and um, it's going to be interesting in how the VSP is going to shape their program of tomorrow. Yeah. John? Well, and, and Gus brought up, uh, when he was talking about the history of, of the Canadian program, uh, you know, uh, Public health is public health, whether it's Canada, U.S., Mexico, uh, Italy. The nothing is is really earth-shatteringly different than the way they approach it. Uh, so, I think pretty much uh, we're seeing across the board, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia, or the or North America, South America, that all of the things that they're looking at putting in place. Uh, related to public health um, is pretty standardized. I mean, we're all looking at how we can manage, how we can control, how we can prevent the spread of a communicable uh, disease. So yeah, the fact that the U.S. and Canada are are harmonized with it, um, it's a no-brainer because we've been doing it now for many years. So it it makes it easier. With some of the other countries, it might be a little more challenging. Of course. And um, Gus, what what do you think um, the cruise lines can or what role do you think they can play or should play when it comes to the disembarking of passengers to ports of call? Well, there's basically two times uh, that a passenger would disembark a vessel. One is for a port of call visit, they're in for the day and then gone. And the other one is when they disembark at their final destination. You only have to take a look at what happened over in Italy there with MSC on a port of call visit when a a group of passengers left an organized sanctioned shore excursion to go on their own. The outcome was that they were asked to leave the vessel. Mm. So I I really see that's going to become the the norm that uh, one, the only way you'll get off a vessel other than your final uh, destination will be in an organized uh, shore excursion. Uh, the days will probably be gone that you won't be able to just wander off, go visit the port for a while and come back on shore. Yeah. Uh, it, the, I mean, the, the term that they're using, you hear used now in a bunch of different things, is your bubble. This uh, bubble that you stay <laughs> in and, and the uh, cruise lines are looking at, at doing that um, to, to manage that risk going into ports of call that have similar standards in place already. Uh, and if like, like with the MSC ship, if they leave that bubble, um, if the ships want to try to prevent uh, 
COVID coming or being brought back on board from somebody being exposed and then become symptomatic, um, then, uh, then you need to keep them off whatever way that is. And that's not easy. It's not an easy decision for the cruise lines because they're in the hospitality business. Their, their mindset is to do whatever it is to treat the guests nicely so they enjoy their cruise they come back for another cruise. Um, it's it's a it's a big change for them to look at some of these things. It's interesting. I saw an article somewhere travel related where they were saying uh, some cruise lines are actually forcing passengers to only take their cruise excursions. Is that a way? Do you think to control this COVID spread as well, knowing who they come into contact with as they go off and disembark? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, and that's, I said, that's going to be the new norm mm. for a period of time. And you mentioned along the line of our conversation, environmental health. This is something I'm wondering, is there a relationship between public health and environmental health? Are they the same? Are they similar, different? I'll start off with saying that they're similar because public health, when we refer to public health, you're looking at the big picture, the big umbrella, where environmental public health is a component within the public health picture, which focuses on okay. the, the human surrounding, maybe water, air, physical uh, uh, surroundings, and so forth. The food, the water we drink, the food we consume, the air we breathe, and so forth. Mm -hmm. and, and where we're seeing that, where we're seeing that environmental health piece kind of come into that, um, we haven't had to do a lot when it comes to really water. Um, water on board the cruise ships uh, is pretty contained, and so that's manageable. We can, can manage it pretty well. Food is a, one that's been talked about quite a bit, and they've, they're looking at doing some short-term things at least with uh, suspending self-service buffets and things like that to limit the contact surfaces that people can spread um, spread the virus to. Uh, one of the bigger ones that at least on the, the US side, the vessel sanitation side, because they are focused in the past primarily on gastrointestinal illnesses, vomiting and diarrhea, mm -hmm. they weren't doing a whole lot. We had some that we did um, with ventilation, with uh, air that we breathe, looking at uh, Legionella, which causes a pneumonia. But yeah. with COVID, that is a become a, a much bigger concern or much bigger uh, focus. And so now we've read a lot that many, if not all of the cruise lines, trying to make sure that the air is, is treated somehow uh, one of the ways that they're doing it, they're putting uh, UVC systems, a UV light in the ventilation system so that the air is uh, disinfected, sanitized uh, before it comes back into the, into the environment. Um, but then it lingers in the environment. So again, this is why we have to make sure that the people on board the ship are still protecting themselves with this uh, physical distancing and masks. Maria sat through the, the she's helped with the previous three and we always yes. talk about masks and all the things that we as individuals have to be doing as well to protect ourselves and everybody else in that environment that we're in. 
Now, Maria, one other thing to keep in mind from the Canadian uh, lens when we look at environmental public health and so forth, environmental health officers in Canada under the cruise ship program or under the traveling public program mm -hmm. are also designated under the quarantine act as uh, environment health officers and as screening officers so they be automatically become the eyes and ears to the quarantine program when they're on these cruise ships if there's something that doesn't fall into their realm but could fall into the quarantine side then mm -hmm. they have a direct line to the quarantine program itself oh. And um, th this makes me wonder, and for the cruise companies themselves, Gus, uh, recently on the leadership online newsletter that you've created and yeah. that goes out regularly, uh, there was mention of how they are shaping the future to assist in this way. Uh, do you, uh, what do you guys make of the changes, of the proposed changes of what the cruise companies are doing, essentially? I'm happy that you mentioned the leadership uh, newsletter because it's been a little bit of a, a baby for me here, just working through it. I yeah. started that back in January 2020 to keep my colleagues at Global Public Health Services informed of the impact mm -hmm. of the coronavirus was having on the global cruise industry. The leadership uh, newsletter, as you know, is a clearinghouse style newsletter that is emailed out to subscribers three times a week. Now, originally I was doing it daily. That was taking up an immense amount of time. But then uh, we started last last month, late July, that um, going to three times a week, which is working out okay. Yeah. As of today, there's a, we're on the 159th issue as of today, and we're just shy of 2,600 articles published in wow. the newsletter. So with that in mind, what is the industry doing to shape the future of cruising. Well, we talked about MSC taking a no tolerance approach to uh, passenger disregarding their policies. Um, you take a look at cost of cruise lines where they're introducing mandatory COVID testing as one of their uh, steps before embarkation, upgrading, they're upgrading their digital procedures for online check-ins and so forth. Uh, you look at Norwegian, they're, they're implying more innovation type style uh, applications that they want to bring in. Most of the cruise lines are coming out with more, again, I'll go back to word innovation, more non-physical touching type approach. Like they can get people through, uh, get them embarked onto the vessels in a timely manner and disembarked and not have all this uh, people mingling around and so forth. Um, just different technologies they're looking at and how they're going to do that. Yeah. The Royal Caribbean, for example, is coming out with an app, or they've come up with an app that they can do their ship safety briefing through the app. Wow. You, know, you don't have to, you don't have to gather together in large groups to have a presentation. So it's it's just looking at different ways, different procedures, innovation protocols. There's a lot. Yeah. And, and a lot of these things that the cruise lines are doing, I mean, the, the, unfortunately, the cruise lines get uh, get a bad rap at times when it comes to, uh, to the way they operate. Um, but they have been trendsetters with a lot of different thing, things. With norovirus uh, in the past, I mean, they, everybody looks at and considers norovirus a cruise ship illness. 
um, cruise ship has cruise industry has very very few if you take the number of people that they that they come in contact with very few people but they have come up early on with how to be able to manage that to get it under control yeah. um, without having to take a ship out of service we used to have to take a ship out of service for at least four days to be able to control a norovirus outbreak. That's a thing of the past. Yeah. And I, my opinion is it's gonna be the same thing with COVID and the other things is that they are going to, with all the things that they're looking, this innovations that Gus has talked about, um, they are going to have a system in place that not only for COVID, but the common cold and everything else, the less severe ones, that they are gonna be better equipped to manage control uh and things like that so uh it's been painful it's been expensive um but coming out the other side um it's going to be safer better all those things that we're going to look for with it it would seem covid19 has pushed certain uh, applications it, from this conversation alone with innovation technology it doesn't support only uh, the reduction of the spread of COVID and being able to restart operations, which everybody is so wanting to. I mean, travel is part of the soul of a human being. So <laughs> not being able to do this, uh, I see a lot of um, individuals. When I looked at the comments for the CDC place, there's a lot that are really, they're just wanting to get back to cruising because they don't understand or aren't looking at it from the public health perspective, right? But it would seem quote unquote, thanks, COVID, for pushing the cruise industry because the government entities seem to always be trying their best to ensure the safety of the public. Now there's the investment privately, it would seem as well, to push forward with our technology. And this has been very enlightening for both the USA and Canadian side. For me, as someone who's not an expert in this area. I would like to ask if you both have any additional comments or closing thoughts that you'd like to share on on this for today. I'd like to just uh, encourage all of the listeners to subscribe to our free newsletter. You can go to www.gphsconsulting.com. Click on the leadership icon in the top right corner and complete the subscription page. And at the same time, you can see the last 100 issues posted there. Just click on view all, late, all latest posts and you'll see that. And if you wish to send an email to, you just go down to the contact button and you can send an email on the newsletter. Thank you, Gus, John. Hey, Gus, thanks for the plug, man. That's good. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to give you, to, we'll have to give you some, some advertising uh, kudos. Um, no, I mean, uh, the, the industry is, is going through a lot. I look forward to when they can finally start sailing again. Um, and I hope people have a better appreciation uh, in a lot of places where the cruise ships go that they're not the villains, but they're the, they're what is our bread and butter and a lot of, a lot of perspective. And they are doing a lot of things and they should they should get some of the credit that goes along with all of the different things that they're, they're putting in place. Well, we will be back again next month to talk about our lovely returning to service. <laughs> and uh, I do thank you both for the informative, educational, and fascinating conversation. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. Uh,
Thank you, Gus. GPHS Podcasting Supervising Producer is Catherine Arthur Hershenfang. Our team also includes John Schnorr and David Forney. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend who doesn't know about our show. You can also find us at gphsconsulting.com and you can also send us an email at info at gphsconsulting.com. We want more people to find our show and we appreciate you as a listener to our podcast. Our special guest this month was Gus Skinner. I am Maria Florio. Thank you for tuning in to the GPHS podcast.